with Scott Allen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in this beautiful world. I am your host, Scott J. Allen, and this is Phrenesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. Now, I am a professor of management at John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. In addition, I'm a husband and father of three teens. Now, this is a family endeavor. Will played the intro, Kate voiced the intro, and who knows, you may hear from Emily a little later. I'm also an author, entrepreneur, speaker, and co-founder of the Collegiate Leadership Competition. I love to travel, explore new places with family, and learn from others. Phronesis offers a smart, fast-paced discussion about all things leadership and followership, if we're honest. My guests are scholars and practitioners, and we cover relevant topics and incorporate practical tips designed to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. I am proud to share a few updates. According to Listen Notes, Phronesis is listed as among the top 3% of podcasts in the world because of you. So thank you. In addition, the podcast has two sponsors. First, Phronesis is the official podcast of the International Leadership Association, an association that is near and dear to my heart. ILA brings together leaders and those who teach, study, and develop leadership, advancing leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. Learn more at ila-net.org. My second sponsor is the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. At Bowler, we offer several advanced degrees and MBAs, and I'm confident that there's one that will fit your location, interests, and timeline. In fact, our online MBA is ranked as the number one in Ohio and number nine in the United States. We offer international study tours, a contemporary and forward-looking curriculum, and access to senior leaders and flagship organizations. Learn more at business.jcu.edu. You can find links to both sponsors in the show notes. Now, if you like what we're up to, please hit subscribe so you can stay current as we release new episodes each week. You can also share what we're up to with others, friends, colleagues, leaders, teams, students, and others you think will benefit. And now, today's show. Okay, everybody, welcome to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. Thank you so much for checking in wherever you are in the world this week. I am with, once again, my co-host, Jonathan Reams. We have this series. Uh, He has edited a book. It's called Maturing Leadership. And we are talking about the intersection of adult development theory and leadership and having a series of conversations with authors from that edited volume. Jonathan, how are you today, sir? I am good. Really enjoying these conversations and looking forward to the one today. So today we have Jeff Fitch and Abigail Lynham. Jeff is co-founder and faculty at Pacific Integral and has been creative leader, coach, and educator exploring diverse approaches to cultivating higher human potentials for over 25 years, including somatic and transpersonal psychology, mindfulness, creativity, leadership, integral theory, and collective intelligence. Jeff also has over 30 years of experience in leadership and business. He holds a master's degree in transpersonal psychology from the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology and a BS in computer science from Boston University. Now, Dr. Abigail Lynham is faculty for Field and Graduate University's PhD in human and organizational development and faculty and coach for Pacific Integral's Generating Transformative Change Program. Her scholarship and practice sits at the intersection of personal and systemic transformation and development, the area of emphasis being adult development psychology applied to adult learning, coaching, social change, 
and leadership development. The two of them are in the Pacific Northwest, the beautiful Pacific Northwest in the United States. And what else do listeners need to know about the two of you? Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you, <laughs> Scott. Well, one thing uh, they need to know is that we're married. <laughs> That's so good to know. That's good we're, to know. We're all, we're all in. <laughs> Yeah, thanks so much for the welcome. Yeah, it's really, really appreciated. It's really, I'm really glad to be here and happy to be part of this conversation. It's really near and dear to our work. And um, yeah, I look forward to it. Abigail, anything you want listeners to know? Yeah, and thank you again also for the welcome. Really looking forward to the conversation. And it's great to reconnect with you, Jonathan, after a number of years. I would just add that, you know, we're both, and, and I'll speak for myself, really care deeply about this experience of human unfolding and its relationship to the planet that we live on, ecological and social change issues, and, um, and the way that developmental unfolding can really serve and support leadership. Well, we are excited for the conversation today. And Jonathan, as always, I think you have, you have a question ready to go out of the gates <laughs> Before we get to a question, maybe a little context. I think one of the things I'm really excited about and one of the reasons I invited Abigail and Jeff to contribute to this volume is that there are many lonely leaders out there. And what I mean by lonely is they find themselves making sense of the world in a way that few people around them do. And so they start questioning or doubting themselves or finding a lack of adequate support to meet their growth edges and their development. And the Generating Transformative Change program at Pacific Integral, to me, has been a real intentional effort to provide a program, community, and process for leaders like that. And I think because that kind of transition in the more mature stages for these leaders is, is so important to do in a good way and to support in a good way. So I was really excited that Jeff and Abigail could contribute and are able to join us in the conversation today. And the first thing I think that might be helpful for listeners is just if you guys could give a little context about. Pacific Integral and the Generating Transformative Change Program? Yeah, I'll jump in to start with that. Thanks, Jonathan. I really appreciate the way that you framed that. And maybe we can come back to that the issue that was implicit in what you were saying there later. Uh, Pacific Integral was started in 2004, and we've been involved in the whole process of human and leadership development in many different forms throughout that so we do coaching, training, uh, workshops, uh, deep programs like generating transformative change, working with a, a variety of different kinds of people really from around the world. Our programs have been um, led here in the U.S., also in Australia, New Zealand, and in Africa. Kind of one of the common threads is that we invite people in, like you're saying, Jonathan, who feel like they're kind of in unknown territory, but also who see themselves as part of a larger story of what's going on in the world right now. So not just focused on their organization, but focused really on this 
historic moment on the time that we're in on the larger social and you know issues that we're facing as human beings the core of that work has been the generating transformative change program which is a kind of deep dive into community development practice that in its current form takes place over 9 months and involves four residential retreats so we really take people in a very deep process and over this time we've led hundreds of people through this kind of process like hundreds of week long residential retreats so it's like it's really kind of stepping out of your lives into something quite unique and quite quite deep in the work that we do and for the for the right people it's really can be profound one of the things that i know is involved in this of course is a mix of theory and practice and process and one of the things i'm curious about is how the being explicit about the theory affects people's sense of the practice and if you could say a little bit about that yeah that's an interesting question jonathan the the program itself generating transformative change we also have another program called emergent leadership which is more of an online journey but with with generating transformative change we're informed by a number of different theories one of them is adult development theory also we work with theory u we work with theory and frameworks around uh, working with polarities bridging differences uh, shadow work and so forth so a number of different frameworks inform the program Adult development theory has been one of the shaping theories that we're working with and obviously is the part of the focus of uh, the series and the book. We integrate it in terms of a, form, a set of practices, but we also use it as a tool that um, that we work explicitly with participants around. You know, so that's the territory of the question that I hear you're asking. It's interesting that to learn about you could call it a spectrum of development or the development of consciousness um itself seems to have a something of a psychoactive impact on folks in other words uh when we recognize that where we are developmentally isn't the end of the road but there's actually more as possible then um then i think there's a it it opens up the territories of what might be next so that's one of the ways that working explicitly with the theory can have an impact Another is just recognizing and appreciating developmental diversity. So that's one of our our deep ethical intents is that it's not about how far along the the path you are or where you are on on the particular developmental scale but more how we meet each other in the moment in terms of our you know sort of the multiplicity of perspectives that are present in any group space. And so it's actually in almost in a paradoxical sense an embrace of ourselves where we are and an inclusion of of the gifts and the insights that come from the different perspectives and so actually teaching the framework is another way to support that intention so i've experienced that partly as if you can give people more granular distinctions they're able to understand their experience in richer ways is that a little bit of what you're describing yeah i think that it helps people to pay attention to those distinctions and those differences and I, and i do want to um maybe reemphasize the paradox because there is a certain element of uh because this is a you know it's a hierarchical scale of development where we recognize there are increasing capacities that become available as we mature developmentally you could then end up taking the view that oh later is inherently always better and so 
who who in the room is on the later end of the developmental scale and how can I, um, you know, privilege their perspective or, or seek to learn from their perspective. But actually what we find is that, um, of course, there's gifts and, you know, wherever you are along the, the developmental scale and oftentimes some of the more catalytic or transformative insights can come from, not from where you expect them to come from. There's critical contributions and profound insights that come across the full developmental spectrum. I have not heard that that phrasing before, the developmental diversity, which I just love. As you think about designing experiences, how do you design programming where that diversity is honored and accepted and there's space for all? Yeah, it's it's really a great question. And it and it's a complex question, so I'll, I'll say a few things. But it's uh, it's probably a topic for a whole other book. <laughs> you know, part of it is not just in the design; it's in how we hold the the program. Because w- without the developmental perspective, what we're often doing is, as facilitators, projecting our own particular de- developmental vantage point on what's happening in the program. Wow. So if you if you think of development as kind of a journey, and w- once you sort of see the bigger picture of the journey, you can see that a lot of the work that's done in the world is just for particular parts of that journey. A great program, but it will, it's ultimately about how, here's how to cross this bridge on the journey really well. Yeah. And and that's really that's really super helpful and it's obviously just how the world works and it's great, but when you're working with a developmental diversity and a developmental perspective, you begin to see that there's people, including ourselves, that are on all different points of that journey at the same time. So that begins to have you take a kind of different view of what what we're doing. And it's a part of the, the holding and facilitation involves just awareness of where everybody is and a sensibility towards how they're interpreting and experiencing the processes that we're doing. So it may be, you know, in some cases you may not change the design of a process, but you may you may help people at different places from different points of view make their own sense of what's happening. So when I hear that, uh, one of the things that comes to my mind is the notion of a certain type of agility as a facilitator to be able and having the lens to understand what's underneath a person's expression, what needs might be present. And I can imagine also that it's not that you're going to change every activity or exercise, but you might frame and position them in different ways or in multiple ways for a diverse audience. Is that a little bit of how you approach it? That's right, Jonathan. And in terms of the design, it might also involve including aspects of a process that would be relevant towards different developmental levels. So it might include bringing something in that would make the process effective and relevant for for a later stage, for example, that might not be the part of the process that really impacts some, you know, other folks in a different in a different point of view. It's all of that. And and using language so that you can talk about what we're doing in different ways that connect with different people, you know, depending on where they're where they are, where they're coming from, not just developmentally, but culturally and personally. So as the two of you are are facilitating these retreats, or, or my assumption would be that Jonathan, you just mentioned that word agility. You're you're working in the moment and trying to process what's happening for you, 
trying to process what's happening in the group. And are you partnered with someone so that as a facilitator, you have a couple different perspectives that are helping to make sense even in your own minds? Yes, we we, uh, we always have at least two faculty for each cohort group. And the cohort groups tend to be quite small from 12 to 15 people so that we can work really intimately with the group. But also I wanted to add a, another element to that, which is we're also seeking to support and develop those capacities within the cohort themselves. So while we as facilitators are, of course, teaching and supporting the process, the intention is for the cohort to develop the capacities to really meet people where they are, include, and also create possibilities for, for each other's developmental unfolding. So it's a, it's a both and in that sense. I love it. I wanted to bring kind of a little bit of a counterexample because that brings in a paradox, which is that the conversation we're just having right now points to the complexity of holding developmental diversity. But I wanted to offer this simplicity of it, which is that we just finished a program and we were in the last retreat of it. And one of the participants came up to me and said, you know, at the beginning of GTC, we we, we spent a lot of time working with development and the theory. And then you just stopped talking about it. And, and what she was pointing to was, from another perspective, what we're talking about doesn't really matter. You know, there are things that transcend developmental stages. There are, there are ways that we can be together that move more simply through the moment that don't require the complexity. We bring that complexity to it, but also you can find, you can move beyond the developmental difference too. So that's a great transition for me because... One of the things I want to acknowledge is there is a third author in this chapter. And Terry O'Fallon's influence on this work, of course, is quite central. And in terms of that, that you are talking about, Jeff, my description of her to people often is the most non-judgmentally present and curious person I've ever met. And, And so that seems to me to be an example of that kind of quality that isn't about development, It's about a state of being and an openness to the world and a curiosity of others and this non-judgmentalness that creates a space that is so important. Absolutely. No, it's absolutely, it's a a key to what we're doing. You know, we we talk about in, in the GTC program and process that we ground the curriculum and the holding in uh, metaware capacities, uh, which is a certain certain stages of development in the in the stages model. But really, fundamentally, the essence of that is interacting with one another from an I-thou perspective. And it's a, a deep regard and respect for just human experience and the uniqueness and particularity of, of where each of us are in our own, you know, kind of unfolding lives. And I think that that can release some of that, uh, the complexity that Jeff was referencing, but also that, you know, the developmental stages even matter. What's more important is the kind of heart and presence and spirit that we bring to one another in the moment. And and from that ground, though, I'm also aware that the program uses developmental assessments. And part of the process was the evolution of Terry's stages model And while that's been alluded to a little bit in the prequel to this series, I think it would be helpful to understand a little bit about that model and what makes it special and how you're able to utilize it in the program. As you mentioned, Jonathan, that's a deep grounding of the the program. And in fact, in the early, very early stages of the program, we started doing developmental research 
uh, I think in that second iteration of GTC, and it's now, there's now been over 30 iterations of the program, we started doing developmental assessments before the program and after the program, and that grew into a longitudinal research process where anyone who takes GTC has the opportunity to, to take a developmental assessment every two years after the program. And part of that research and orientation was just this deep question of like, what is development? Like how to, you know, what do we understand about it theoretically and how does it actually show up in life? Because we realized we're in this kind of unique opportunity, not just to go in and do a, you know, do a workshop or do an assessment to X, but actually kind of hang out and live with people for months on end and see how this actually showed up in relationship and, and, and individuals and in people's lives. And, and so that was the real curiosity that was born in it. And partner and one of the co-founders of Pacific Integral, Terry O'Fallon, really took that on. And, and be, we began early on working with Susan Cook-Reuter's model, which grew out of the work of Jane Lovinger. And then from that, Terry developed the stages model, which is, you know, now become her, you know, principal focus in her work. And the stages model, just briefly, it came out of some deep insights that she had about the underlying patterns in development. And she identified really three principal patterns that evolve in development. These are kind of iterating processes we go through that give rise to these late, you know, later and later stages of development. So it was a, a deep simplification of the model. I remember when we were first doing the research, which really struck me was that Jane Lovinger's scoring manual was about, you know, like had like 500 pages in it. And Terry wrote this scoring manual for the stages model that had 23 pages in it. And going through that scoring process, we statistically validated the, the, the results. So it really pointed to me, it was kind of illustration of how, how the simplification of understanding and the deeper principles that she discovered in the developmental process. I can remember the excitement. I think it was 2010 at a conference in Santa Clara where she was presenting some of the early patterns she was noticing. Maybe you could say a little, um, either one of you, about, I think there's like three core questions that everything right. revolves around. Yeah, so the three questions are what, what objects arise in awareness, and that points to these three tiers that we move through, the concrete, subtle, and meta-aware tiers. That's the kind of largest rhythm of development. Most people move through just the first two in their lives, so this is a kind of very granular pattern. And then the next one is whether the focus is individual or collective. And the third pattern is a pattern that moves through four different processes, but it's Originally, in, the, in her understanding, it was just active and receptive. Are you active or receptive? And that got refined into receptive, active, reciprocal, and integrative or interpenetrative. So you ask those three questions, you know, what tier are you in? Is it individual or collective? And which one of those active receptive patterns are you in? And that gives you an orientation towards the stage. Now, how to answer those questions is a little bit more complicated, but those are the three patterns. And that simplification, I think, has been helpful for many people. Now, you mentioned the term, and I think, Abigail, you had earlier too, metaware. And maybe for listeners, you might want to elaborate a little what that means. And that's a, maybe as a transition into 
how that transition into that became kind of a focus of your chapter and some of the things you're studying. So the metaware tier, I'll, I'll say very briefly, um, there's the concrete tier, which is um, objects that are you know physically visible and you could say emotions that are a little bit more simple, like happy, glad, sad, mad. The subtle tier is the territory of thoughts and ideas and feelings that are a little bit more subtle um, than that concrete tier, the things that we experience within us and between us, but we maybe can't quite touch or see with our see with our eyes. Um, and the metaware tier is the territory of awareness itself. So it's this uh, recognition and experience of ourself as awareness itself. So there's for the individual who's experiencing this, the stages in the metaware tier, there's an experience of our the ground of being itself as awareness. So one way of describing that is um, that there's the part of ourselves that is aware that we're aware. Um, and this actually starts to arise as a state experience and a capacity a little bit earlier in the in the subtle tier as self-awareness. So we talk about having self-awareness. You know, we we're some we're aware to a certain degree of our emotions, of our thoughts, and that kind of a thing. And that self-awareness develops more into awareness of awareness. We recognize that there's a dimension of ourselves that is ever present and never changing, always there. Sometimes it's called the witness self. And and I can imagine, and this is part of what you talk about in the chapter that I'm really curious for listeners to hear more about, that as an individual might start moving into that phenomenological experience, it could be quite disorienting. Yeah, thanks for thanks for pointing to that, Jonathan. So one of the reasons we we focused on this in in our chapter is is not because we privilege this particular set of stages more than the others, but because a number of the participants in GTC are navigating that very transition. Mm. Um, so we find um, that you know that a number of the the participants who are drawn to the program are somewhere between the 4.5 strategist stage and the, the early stages of the metaware tier that include construct aware and, and transpersonal. So there many, not all, but many are navigating that very transition. And yes, it can be very disorienting. So we recognize, um, I'll, I'll just say briefly here that we recognize that in the stages model, it points to certain developmental shifts are more catalytic and perhaps disorienting for the individual than others. And this is one of those. Would you paint a picture for me of what some of that disorientation may entail, what that looks yeah. like or what that person's experiencing? Yeah, I'll say a couple more and then maybe Jeff, you could you could add to it. So so one of the reasons, according to the stages model, one of the reasons that this is a more this is a bigger developmental transition, a more disorienting, is that the individual is moving from the subtle tier to the metaware tier. They're moving from the collective focus to the individual focus. And they're moving from this kind of more interpenetrative approach to a more receptive orientation. So from the stages perspective, it's a it's as many changes as is possible in the model, you know, kind of to step back from that and to look more, you know, kind of at the experiential level, we talk about in the subtle tier, there's, a, we have a subtle ego that is our primary way of, of navigating the world. It's the kind of the storyteller of the self. And as the person moves into the beginning stage of the, the metaware tier, they're starting to let go of the subtle self as the primary uh, 
anchor to the self and start to develop a, a metaware ego, we could call it, or this source of self as awareness, awareness itself. And so let me just make that a little bit more plain and sort of give a sort of felt sense description of it. It's an experience of letting go of who we've been to discover who we're becoming. But there's a liminal space in there. So there's a process of letting go that happens before this new sort of source of self starts to uh, be more graspable. And so sometimes people can describe that as being out at sea in a boat, you know, sort of floating on the ocean with no oars and no land in sight. So there's a there's a certain kind of faith and trust that needs to happen in the letting go because we're we're waiting for what's next to come. And so that can be quite disorienting. And I'll add one more element, which is that in some of these later stages, there's just, they're less common in, in our own life contexts. And so there's less support to navigate what we're experiencing. So it, it's it's not that it's it's inherently too much to handle, but that we don't have very many people in our lives to help us to recognize what's happening and to understand that it's actually, it's it's a beautiful thing. It actually brings a lot of gifts with it. Um, so in that disorientation, sometimes people can feel like they don't know who to turn to, to understand a little bit of what they're experiencing. We're kind of getting to this really interesting point, right? Which has a couple of aspects to it. One is, yes, at these later stages, having this kind of support is really helpful. These post-conventional stages um, but at a deeper level, it points to me to uh, something about development itself, which is that particularly, you know, in our kind of modern sensibility and our orientation towards wanting to grow and wanting to develop and evolve, we look at something like the developmental framework and think like, great, I know where to go. I'll climb the ladder. I'll get higher and higher. You know, it's better and better. You know, <laughs> I'll have great relationships and lots of money and you know, <laughs> make an impact on the world. You know, so we, we project that kind of hierarchy on this model. And in another way, so it's and in, an, in a true way, I'm joking, but in a true way, the later stages represent sometimes called you know, stages of adult maturity. So it's like a, this implication that the later stages are more mature in some way or more developed, more complex. And that's all true. But in another way, the the more that you go up development, the less mature you are. Mm. And this is what I mean by this, is that when we're all born knowing how to be babies, right? Completely expert babies. It's the minute we're born. And as we evolve, we get into more and more territories of human being that have less history to them. So if you jump ahead into the kind of modern world, we have great institutions and practices and a whole civilization built around modernism. And, and then as you get into the post-conventional stages, there's real interesting and complex things happening and people are writing books about it and doing workshops and developing practices, but it's relatively new, mm. right? And unelaborated. We don't have great meta-modern institutions that have been around for hundreds of years practicing this. And then when you get into the meta-warriors, it's even, even less so, right? So you can, Abigail just gave a really brilliant description of like making that transition. But the thing that that doesn't come with is 
the calming voice of Abigail Lynham explaining this is perfectly natural. It just <laughs> happens. And you're kind of wondering what's going on and what do I do from here? You know, it's so the, the downside of that is that it's that there isn't a lot of understanding and at these stages, but the, the beauty of that is that it's unbelievably creative that we get to enact and create novel ways of being hmm. and that we're not hampered by social conventions and institutions, that there's an openness to these later stages that is profoundly creative. Yes. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a paradox always. So, so one of the things I'm quite curious about then is what have you noticed or heard stories about where as leaders out in the world are trying to navigate this transition and they're a bit out at sea, what are the traps and pitfalls they often fall into? What are the consequences of those when they have this less mature holding environments for them and are can be more creative, but not necessarily having good guardrails around that? So what are some of the traps that you've heard about? because there doesn't tend to be much cultural support and structure around this developmental transition and people do tend to experience it somewhat, you know, in a, in somewhat of a solo way, oftentimes they don't know who to turn to when they're ex having this experience. And also we know this from developmental transformations across the developmental spectrum is when we're growing and changing, when we're letting go of who we've been to encounter who we're becoming, we often want to push off and away from, what has been our life um, that could be in the form of the job that we're, in, you know, the work that we're engaging in, sometimes relationships, sometimes community and so forth. So there's a, there seems to be a tendency to want to shed older structures in our life to make room for the new. So that can be one of the pitfalls. Sometimes that's necessary, right, to free ourselves up so we can open up into some new possibilities but that can actually add to the disorientation in, in a sense, because if we let go of these things that have been really, really um, anchoring who we are and our sort of day-to-day -day lives, that can leave somebody even more, you know, maybe perhaps swimming around in a, a state of, of not knowing or losing a sense of who they are. Um, so there's a, there's a gift and a challenge, I think, to that tendency. Yeah, just a, a quick comment. I think, you know, Heifetz talks about adaptive challenges is you know, what's the 95% that stays the same and what's the 2 to 5% that needs to change? And I think navigating what stays stable and to hang on to and what I really should let go of can be very difficult when there aren't social norms and good models for that. Yeah, I think that's a really helpful distinction to make. And so it is, it's discerning what can and should be released and what, you know, what might be supportive to to navigate the transition. Yeah, no, it's a it's a really good way to look at it. And one of the challenges, so to to give some more examples of this question about the challenges, one of the challenges as we move first into the metaware tier into that first stage, as Abigail mentioned earlier, we're letting go of a whole identity, a whole subtle identity, like our ordinary self, and kind of moving into the sense of ourself as a as awareness itself. So the distinction, you know, of what do we hold and what we let go of is almost very hard to navigate at that point because we're kind of letting go of everything. <laughs> and so then part of the work is to recover it. So in that receptive stage, the beauty of it is that 
there's an ability to be really present and really responsive to the moment. So in that first receptive stage in MetaWare, like leaders are often really creative at, at being in complex situations and being able to, to sense and choose courses of action that are really novel, really receptive to what's happening. But in, in terms of organizing their own act, action and direction towards the future, it's more challenging. So it's a very in-the-moment stage. Yeah, and as you're describing that, the, the felt sense I get is that you were talking earlier about climbing the developmental ladder and from a certain kind of meaning-making system, that kind of linear structure kind of approach makes sense. And we all have the experience of that. Uh, my favorite way of describing it to people is you learn arithmetic first and then you learn algebra. No, then, yeah, you learn multiplication. <laughs> division, then you gradually learn algebra and then maybe calculus. But so there's a linearity to it. But I get the impression that in this transition, it's almost you throw away the ladder. It is a different modality of evolution rather than a developmental right. stage, so to speak. Yeah, and it's it's paradoxical, right? Because um, you're getting to the rung on the ladder, which is called the throwing away the ladder rung. So it's, it is also an evolution, but it's also paradoxical that at that, and really kind of every other stage is a stage that, that wants to let go of something, that wants to kind of overturn, you know, the models and the, and, and the hierarchies and, and those sorts of things. But it happens in a big way at that stage. Mm. But then, then just to give another example, there's in a way that kind of first metaware stage, you're, you're seeing in a way that we're all kind of telling a story, you know, we're all constructing our own experience. We're all, if I were to kind of be extreme about it, you know, it's like, oh, this is all made up. And the beauty of that is there's a creativity in it. Uh, but the struggle at that place is, and this is the basic challenge of any developmental stage is not seeing our own seeing and then projecting that seeing on the world. So then the way I would do that at that stage is to look at everybody else and say, don't you see, this is all made up. And everybody's going like, no, it's not. You know, the next stage after that is to discover like, oh, yeah, we're making up these stories about the world and the frameworks and the boundaries that we're putting on things. But that's a creative act. So I can do that in a way that can actually impact the world and make change and help us evolve. I may be starting with a blank piece of paper, but I can write and I can create something that really has an impact. And then the pitfall at that point is, you know, tends to be complexity. I might overcomplexify things and not appreciate not appreciate that that doesn't have the impact that I want it to have. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. And, and I think as you describe that, then, you know, one of the questions in our mind in this series is always, you know, the implications for leadership. And part of what I hear you saying then, of course, is that there is an opportunity to be creative at any level. But at this level, there's a certain type of kind of like going up uh, Donella Meadows leverage points in a system, right? And the highest leverage points are around the the mindset or the paradigm shift. And so here I hear you describing that leaders could actually make in creative interventions at levels that allow them to have 
maybe not even in their lifetimes an impact, but it may start a, a meme or a seed or something that can create a space for a few people who pick it up and do something with it. That's right. It can, it's a very, that you're pointing to one of the, the things that evolves as we evolve, which is our sense of time and space. And it's a very deep time, very wide horizon that's engaged with at this level. Well, and now we're going to collapse the time because we're running out of time. <laughs> and as much as we could go on, Scott, I think... So you say. Listeners, we're going to leave you in the deep end. So, <laughs> so well, I think it's exciting because uh, there'll be an opportunity for listeners to engage with your chapter. And I think we've provided enough of a of a introduction to kind of some of the thinking that now those who are interested can go and explore a little bit deeper. And of course, we will put links to in the show notes to resources that could actually help people delve a little bit deeper still. Yeah, I wanted to add one additional piece, which is just to, you know, maybe it, it adds a bit more complexity to what we've been talking about. But I want to acknowledge that We've been talking about, you know, what does this developmental stage transition look like and, and how might leadership be expressed and experienced from the construct aware and transpersonal stages. But just to recognize that that all of us have a multiplicity of developmental stages that we're operating from, you know, moment to moment. And what's more important is how healthy and whole we are at any one of these stages, not how late we are. And, you know, in these later stages, there's shadow and blind spots just as much as there is at any of the previous stages. Um, and so I don't want to over idealize uh, what it means to be a leader from these later stages and actually to recognize that, you know, with these increasing capacities that come with developmental maturity also is, is necessary to be paired with humility and, and a humbleness around the harm we can do in the world and, and you know, the, the ways in which we're always partial or always missing something. And there actually, you know, there can be a little bit of a, a an, an easier access to that humility in these later stages because there's a greater likelihood to see one one's shadow and so forth at play, but not always. And so I just want to I just want to recognize and acknowledge that that it's again these you know these stages bring tremendous gifts and also are always only see a part of the the larger whole. Um, yeah, and there's two things that come up for me with that. One is I remember Suzanne Cook-Greuter wrote about this, and and you know people idealize if you just got a, a team of metaware people together, they'd be so great. And she says, well, maybe, but they also might just have a clashing of much more complex shadows. <laughs> uh, so it can, you know, there there is that possibility, but it's not a given. And I think that's really important. And the second is the distinction between how a, a person might make meaning and have the capacity to and their performance in a given moment in a given context, which can vary wildly. Say more about that real quick, Jonathan. Give me an example. We, we'll have a conversation later about fallback or regression. So just because you make meaning in a more mature, complex way doesn't mean you can't still be a idiot. You know, you can get hooked <laughs> or triggered with some emotional trauma from childhood that that activates some kind of response that's patterned in that you're not aware of now and is much less mature. As Jeff said, we know how to be babies. We're really good at that. 
and that can take over at times. Well, and and I think in his, gosh, this might be 1985, Jonathan, Carl Kuhnert, in his article with Lewis, where mm-hmm. they're talking about leadership. And you might have someone, this is going to Keegan now, but you may have someone who is at the, the self-authoring stage really struggle to communicate with individuals at different developmental levels. They might not connect. They might not influence that faction of people if they are coming off as, you know, a little above the minds of, you know, I I go back to that whole, but, you know, John Kerry saying, I think it was Kerry, I see complexity. Well, that sounded like garbly gook to factions of people. And, and you know what? It, it, it may not have helped him. Flip-flopper or lockbox or, <laughs> you know, sometimes translating to different levels I, I think it's a fascinating conversation. I really do. Yeah, this is a really what both what well, what all of you are saying is really important to I think in a way to kind of leave us with this and that there is how we show up. You know, our you know, one of our teachers, the meditation teacher, Dan Brown, a psychologist who recently passed away, would always point to And he's teaching a path of enlightenment, essentially. And he would always point to the measure of your realization is your conduct. So there's, there's, you're speaking to, you know, capacities that you need at each level, but also how you show up. You can even have capacities to speak to different levels, to do what matters in the moment and not bother. You know, there's really an ethical orientation that's really needed here which is that it's how we show up in every day. And it, and that doesn't matter what developmental level we're at. It matters whether you just use your life to make a difference on a day-to-day basis. And um, it's just a really important point that you've brought up, Jonathan. You know, in the GTC program, it's one of the reasons that we, we're always working at the sort of the intersection between the I and the we, the individual and the collective. Because, you know, while leaders, leadership can feel like a lonely act, it's always in relationship. And so the developmental work that we do in the context of the program is in the context of a collective because it brings out sometimes not the best of us, but it actually creates the possibility to grow up those parts of ourselves that have actually been harmed in relationship, harmed in in communities. And so it's the necessary context for, you know, for what it means to grow and mature and, and, and develop our conduct as individuals, as leaders, as contributors to society. Well, we really, really appreciate your time today, and we're thankful for the good work that you're doing, thankful for helping us better understand how you're seeing, what you're practicing, what you're engaged in, and I think listeners have a wonderful opportunity. I'm going to put a link to to the book in the show notes so listeners can explore that and access that resource and learn more. One thing we always do when we wind down the conversation is just ask our guests what has caught their attention recently. So it may have something to do with what we've just discussed. It might just be a cooking television show that you've really caught on to, right, (laughs) on Netflix. But something that's caught your eye recently, you've been streaming, you've been watching, you've been reading. What's something that's come onto your radar that listeners might be interested in? Uh, I watch this... um show recently severance i don't know if anybody has seen this show it's, it's no. a really it's a really fascinating show there's just one season of it out i forget what show it's on what channel it's on it's called severance in a, in a sense to me it looks at identity and also how we dissociate from ourselves 
Um, it's a kind of sci-fi little horror thriller. It's really smart, really smart. Yeah, I'm I'm also a jazz musician, and I you know if you don't want to watch a weird television show, just go listen to Miles Davis or. I'll put a link in the I'll put a link in the show notes too. Yeah. Wh- which Miles Davis would you like uh, listeners to, <laughs> to go check out? Start with Start with Kind of Blue. Okay. 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 <laughs> Abigail, how about you? Something that's caught your attention recently? You know, I'll just say what's caught my attention in this conversation is where we just ended with a convert. You know, with talking about the importance of conduct, and you know, so I'm not referencing something in you know, kind of our social media world or media world to to point to, but just the importance of kindness. Uh, it actually, to me, just feels so fundamentally important, which is just how we are with one another um, in our day-to-day lives. And, and uh, you know, that there's a, a sibling just sent me something from, um, you know, just something, a gift that she received unexpectedly just recently, how we can really impact one another's days and lives just by simple acts of being kind. Mm-hmm. I am going to, okay, in honor of you, I'm going to put a, one of my favorite articles. There was an article in the Atlantic and it was called Masters of Love, but they really explored what really kind of was the the key to long lasting relationships, and it kind of came down to kindness. Yeah, so it's, I, it's beautiful. Oh wow, absolutely wonderful. Well, thanks to the two of you for being with us today. Thank you so much for the work that you do, and for listeners, we have all kinds of links in the show notes. Jonathan, as always, still holding down the fort in Norway, right? That is correct. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Have a great day, everyone. Be well. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Thank you. Jonathan, okay. So a spectrum of development. What hit you in this conversation? What what really stood out for you in this dialogue? I'm excited to hear. The richness of understanding how this spectrum evolves. Mm. And, and, And I can say I had the privilege of kind of being in conversation and knowing Terry O'Fallon as she was developing the model. So I've seen it evolve. Just to step into some of the things that caught my attention in the conversation, one was that they have at Pacific Integral this GTC program, and there was such a rich set of frameworks that they used. It wasn't just one model. It was a really diverse, rich set. And then there talking about developmental diversity and using that developmental lens to not project one's own understanding onto others' experience. This is so important that we often think that, oh, if they had that, this is what it means to them. No, it's not what it means to them. We have to be developmentally sensitive. Terry O'Fallon's model, the stages model, I think has an elegant simplicity to it. They talked about there's just Three core questions in this underlying pattern of development. What is the type of object that arises in awareness? Is it concrete, subtle, or meta? Is it an individual or collective orientation? And is it active or receptive and passive? And how you answer those questions in the combination can tell you a whole lot of things. And then what was in focus in this chapter for them and a lot of their work was leaders who are going through a developmental transition where all three of those are changing at once. Mm. And in that process, there's such a, a major loss of identity. 
this can be very disorienting moving into this notion of meta-awareness and the witness self because that whole sense of an identity itself as a construct starts to deconstruct. The other thing that I thought was really useful that Jeff was saying is that the more you grow up developmentally, the less mature. I thought this was so useful because what he elaborated was we have less history to the emerging experiences at later stages. Everybody knows how to be an infant, a toddler, a little school kid, you know. We're socialized into that. But when you get to the outer reaches where there's less modeling, less norms, you're less mature because you have less to rely on. I thought that was a really important point. So there's less support for this and therefore more creativity required, but it's really easy to become isolated. And so health and wholeness uh, within each stage and appreciating that rather than, again, this push to hire is better, but back to the point I made about being fit for purpose and the importance of showing up where we are. Yes. And again, that fit for purpose, showing up where we are. And I want to just underscore one thing. I mean, and there's just a fascinating episode with Robert Keegan and Keith Eigel, podcast they did, but there's there's loss in some of these transitions that people experience. There's loss. And your your imagery was beautiful. It made me almost think of a, you know, a ship out at sea without a North Star. It, because where there is less modeling available for folks, it's it's uncharted territory in some ways. Great insights and a wonderful conversation. So much fun. Thank you, See sir. You next week, Scott. Bye-bye. You have just finished another episode of Practical Wisdom for Leaders with Scott Allen. To contact me, visit www.scottjallen.net or send me a note at scott at scottjallen.net. I can also be found on Twitter and LinkedIn, so let's connect. Now, if you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening. One final nod to our sponsors, the International Leadership Association and the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.